Blaze Radio Network. And now, the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Greetings, happy warriors, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. And uh, thank you for being part of the show, and uh, thank you for all so many of you are doing to help promote the show. Our download numbers continue to increase meteorically, which is very exciting for the two of us. And I say the two of us because today, as we occasionally do, it is a joint show. We've never done a video. We've I've not been done on a joint the audio video show. It's never been on the video. That's right. Well, this is the uh, start Debut. of a new regime. <laughs> A new tyranny. And um, uh, why don't you explain to our happy warriors just why uh, this is a joint show, why you are participating today? Before we do that, why don't we just ask them, because it's great that the numbers are growing, but if you have not signed up, subscribe subscribe to the the podcast, that would be great, actually, yes. Um, Do us a favor and go ahead and subscribe. I think you all know as well as I do what it's about. Uh, essentially, you get uh, informed of when new episodes drop, but uh, those numbers are really important. And as you can see, if you are uh, listening or watching on a site that uh, gives you the the subscription numbers, you can see what's been happening to our subscription numbers. They've really been going up very, very gratifyingly. So go for that and subscribe. Now... So what happened was that I, we both are inveterate readers. We read a lot and we share a lot of times. We spend a fair bit of time saying, you've got to hear this. And occasionally saying, okay, sorry, I'm I'm not just going to read you a paragraph. You have to read the whole book or the whole article. But what happened was that I came across an article and the author of the article, I recognized her name. It was Dr. Naomi Wolf. And I recognized her name going back a long time as a someone who had been held up as a feminist icon. And I have to admit, I don't think I'd ever read any of her books. I don't think you had either. No. But we probably figured, I probably figured she's somebody I disagreed with more than I agreed with. And yet this article um, was, it blew me away because I'm not positive I remember exactly the first one I read, but one, she wrote an article which was an apology to conservatives. And she went through and she listened and she said, I believed this lie about you. I believed this lie about you. They told me this about you. It was a lie. And it was an entire column of apologizing for having believed the mainstream media and academia and the friends, her friends, her liberal friends and from her circle, who all, along with her, believed certain things about conservatives or told certain things about conservatives. And somehow she oh, she had come to believe that they were wrong. And the opening wedge for her was COVID. And she is absolutely, she actually wrote a book um, talking about how governments around the world used COVID basically as an opportunity to take over people's lives 
and to really and in effect what they are were doing was destroying those things that make us human getting the ability to get together the ability to hug each other to be with each other to choose where we want to be freely and to trade to trade, to with, trade one with another each other. go to a restaurant or go to a store and and uh, i think she observed also that there seemed to be preferential treatment for certain kinds of stores yes certain you know that you could have marijuana stores in the united states and some places were open whereas in liquor stores and marijuana marijuana stores were open but if you wanted to sell shoes you were shut down it was she wrote a book um the body of others which we and i ended up reading after reading her article we did a little more work and then she even came out with an article that was she went to a speech it was a private speech she was invited to by donald trump and she wrote an article and basically said oh my goodness is it possible that nothing i have been told about this man is true she actually went through some of the most egregious things that she had been told he said and discovered that you're not going to believe this they were taken out of context some of them anyway the point is that we read her book and we just and I said to my husband, you've got to get this woman on your radio, on your podcast. You have we have to talk to her. It was really interesting because she had actually been an advisor to long ago now, 23 years ago, <gasps> uh, to the long. Uh, you're right to the 2000 election um, Al Gore, Joe Lieberman campaign. Uh, you'll remember that famous uh, presidential election, the hanging chads in Florida. It was when Supreme it was okay Court. to question elections. Back then, it seems it was okay <laughs> to question elections. That's right. Uh, they, in fact, the uh, the Democrats launched a lawsuit uh, against George W. Bush, which uh, they ultimately lost, and George W. Bush was declared the winner. But yes, they did question the outcome of a legitimate election. And she supported and helped and was an advisor to the Gore-Lieberman campaign, which uh, Susan and I um, deplored. Uh, we, 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 were, we were equally unimpressed with both candidates, Al Gore and Lieberman. We felt both were deeply, deeply flawed uh, for the, the role of uh, uh, occupying the White House. And so I really didn't think there could possibly be much that we would be able to, let alone agree on, but uh, to even discuss. I didn't, I didn't think, however, the more I read, together with Susan, of what Naomi Wolf had written, uh, the more amazed we were, because it takes a lot of courage and a lot of integrity to say the words, I was wrong. Not easy to say. And um, and she's even, she went further. She's been going further than there are a, a number of people who are saying, oh, the left left me. You know, I am a classical liberal and the left has gone too far. Now they've become woke. She went beyond that to the point of saying I was I was wrong. <laughs> there are a lot of things that I believed about the classical left even that were wrong because it left a long time ago it's not it did not just leave and become woke in the last yeah. year this actually goes back further than that 
So um, we we thought she was very interesting. We then invited her to uh, come on the show with us. She graciously accepted and stayed on longer than we'd originally agreed. <laughs> we were just finding the conversation fascinating. And I don't think we even got through, uh, I, I, we may have got through half the things we were hoping we, to we discuss. We missed so many. Her. We had so many questions um, we did not get to. But we did get through a lot. And uh, we very much hope that you will find this so as interesting as we did. I I am going to suggest before we you start hearing about hearing the interview, I'm going to suggest if you are interested, if COVID, if you're scratching your head and going, what in the world happened and is it happening again? I do suggest you read her book. It's Dr. Naomi Wolf, The Bodies of Others. And I forgot the subtitle and I don't have it here. But there's another book you should read also. And that is called The Holistic, Holistic You. you. Uh, perhaps the most important book we've written, and uh, and that's you know taking into account "Thou shalt prosper" and "Business Secrets from the Bible" and uh, "Buried Treasure: Life Lessons from the Lord's Language." Uh, we have a number of books, but the newest one, "The Holistic You," um, is most exciting, most profound, and I think we put most of ourselves into. Um, it, it's the essential. Um, statement, explanation, and guide to how to integrate the five crucial areas of our lives, family, finance, friendship, fitness, and faith. That's it. I think everyone would agree, right? If that, you know, if you have a wonderful family life, um, you, this, you have a spouse with whom you're still in love, and your finances give you nothing to worry about, and you have a relationship with God, so your faith is all right, and your friendships, you've got a great social life, you've got friends and fitness, you're in good health, you've got no complaints, right? You've got a lot to be grateful for. Awful lot to be <laughs> grateful for. And so uh, what we explained is a hugely important insight from ancient Jewish wisdom, and that is that all these five interlock with each other. And that, uh, oddly enough, if you devote time and energy to family, it's never at the cost of finance or the cost of fitness or the cost of social life. All of the, on the contrary, uh, as you build up uh, social life, friendships, you're also building up friendships and finance and faith and family. If you do they it right. All, if you saying, do it all right. The yes. idea is how to integrate all of those things. You can't get the book just yet. It is, however, being stocked and shipped and stocked. It's days away. So, so it's only it days is. away. So please, so. it is available for pre-order We'd on love Amazon. you to go ahead and pre-order. And the, the reason is because uh, Amazon... Um, decides how much attention to give a book based on the pre-order numbers and um, and so you know how they give a ranking for the book they they tell you um, now we don't know what the algorithm is but the ranking is comparative you can tell whether books have sold since yesterday to today and so uh, when you listen to this you might want to go on Amazon and uh, look up the holistic you uh, by us, by Rabbi Daniel and Susan Lappin. And then um, I'm wondering if this is our first book. No, it's not the first book that has your name on the cover. Um, it's the first book. No, it isn't the first book, but it's no. no. 
but, the perfect um, by this publisher. Well, they all should have had your name on the cover, but oh, um, but that's but that's uh, water under the bridge. This one does. Look up the holistic you by Rabbi Daniel and Susan Lappin, and you'll notice the. Uh, Amazon sales rankings are, are quite high or low, depending on how you look at it. The numbers are high, which means it's it's not good, it's low. Uh, but as people listen to this podcast and act upon it, you will see. So please, I think you're going to want the book anyway. Uh, it is extremely powerful and extremely transformational in terms of these five areas of your life. So if you are going to want the book, go ahead do us a favor and order it right now on Amazon. And I think now we are uh, pretty much ready to uh, bring okay. on Dr. Naomi Wolf. If you're looking her up, it's W-O-L-F. There's no E. No. W-O-L-F, Dr. Naomi Wolf. And um, we sure enjoyed talking with her. We found it quite eye-opening. And, and we found it uplifting that there are people like this. In other words, uh, an influential person, she's an influencer, uh, she has a big following, and including people way over on the left. And, and yet here is somebody um, who can even change her mind on perhaps one of the most divisive topics of the last few decades in the United States of America, President Donald J. Trump. All of that coming up right now with Dr. Naomi Wolf. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, happy warriors. And as promised, uh, an interview that both Susan Lappin and I have been greatly looking forward to. Uh, we have the opportunity to talk with Dr. Naomi Wolf. And um, gosh, what is so interesting to us is that, um, well, let, let me put it this way. Uh, I and my wife were privileged to, to start and lead a synagogue in Los Angeles, California, on the beach in Venice. <laughs> and it was made up of... Um, many, many hundreds of young people, young Jews who grew up with a completely secular background, very limited or no Jewish identity at all. And um, they found themselves attracted to, um, for lack of a better term, and, and I don't mean this disparagingly at all, but to the fundamentalist nature of the congregation. Uh, it was, we didn't label it orthodox or reform or anything else. We just called it Torah-centric. And um, and over the course of a, of a number of years, hundreds of young people turned their lives upside down, in many cases alienating themselves from friends and family. All of a sudden, uh, they were not able to drive on Saturday. They were not able to eat at their parents' homes as they began to follow uh, the Torah rules on on kosher food and so on and so forth, and all of this was uh, was was very very interesting, and and we were in, incredibly privileged to to serve a congregation of of, of very accomplished and intelligent people, uh, but there were Susan three or four couples of uh, older people in this. Yeah, most people were in their twenties and thirties. Yeah, there were a few outliers. 
and there was this uh, this small group of three or four elderly elderly couples. They were, you know, in their sixties. We don't call that elderly anymore. We <laughs> no, no, in 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 the in the peak of their years. But exactly. <laughs> but they they took our breath away. Because to change your mind when you're 23 or 25 or 26 and your your, your entire adult life is, is 10 years long, to at that point say, you know, I'm going to rethink things, uh, I'm, I'm going in a different direction, it takes something, there's no question about it. But to do the same thing when you have 20 or 30 years invested in a particular worldview, now that is breathtaking. And um, I suppose we can go back to uh, the election of 2000, when I think you were on the team of Gore Lieberman. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were notorious for saying that um, we wouldn't vote for Gore Liebman under any circumstances because of fundamental differences in policy and outlook. But we specifically wouldn't vote for Liebman because the Jewish community's adoption of uh, Joe Liebman in the vice presidential um, position uh, reeked of um, of tribalism to us. There were people who knew nothing about his policies, but, oh, he's one of us, he's a Jew. And we, di we didn't go for that. So at any rate, there we were in ninety in, in 2020, uh, excuse me, in um, in um, uh, 2000. 2000. Did I, I may have said that wrong before. In the 2000 election, um, I would say we probably, I didn't know you then, but based on what I've read of your work and the material you were writing and speaking about then, uh, we could hardly have been on uh, more distant from one another in in ideas. And now, all of a sudden, um, Susan and I are filled with admiration for things that you are saying and writing and doing. And so something has changed. And what has changed is you. <laughs> Well, can I, because that was actually going to be my first question, if I can jump in here. Yeah, please. I Susan. think there's a very consistent pattern in your life from what I, not that I have spent, you know, I haven't done a PhD analysis of you, but from what I understand, there's a great consistency in that you are, you speak what you see. You You see a problem and you speak about it. And you don't really look to say, well, is everyone going to approve of what I'm saying? You just really are, you seem to me to be a very honest and courageous person. And so that is a consistent theme where I'm curious. And my question is, there does seem to be a change. And I think that I'm pretty sure you probably have just about alienated everybody in the world at some point or another, because those who would have been your allies early on are probably upset at a lot of the things you're saying now. And those who did not like the things you were saying early on are probably see you more as a, an ally now. My question is, I don't see the change. I see you following the path of truth wherever it leads you. But in terms of policies and things, was this was there an aha moment? Because it goes before COVID. You know, the book we've been enjoying recently, well, I don't say enjoying, it's not enjoyable, but the bodies of others, the new authoritarians, COVID-19 and the war against the human um, is really breathtakingly bold. But um, 
my question, I guess, is was there way before that? I see you had already started. You had a book, Letters to a Patriot or something to Young Americans. That was 2007, I think. Was there an aha moment or was this been a gradual, oh, I need to expand my thinking? Wow. Well, these are great questions. Of course, I love them because they're so flattering. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I guess what came to mind uh, when both of you were speaking is I I really don't feel that I've changed. I feel that um, circumstances around us historically have changed. So, you know, for people who are not familiar with my work, I guess the shorthand of what we're saying is that I came from the world of liberal uh you know, liberal left, progressive left, and was always pretty comfortable in it. Um, but all the way along, I was annoying my my fellow tribes people because, <laughs> for instance, I wrote a piece in the 90s called Our Bodies, Our Souls, in which I talked about my discomfort with the quite materialistic, um, spiritually neutered uh, discourse around abortion that the pro-choice movement um, utilized. Um, so they didn't like that. So so it's not new for me to look at an issue on its own terms um, rather than fitting into a truism on one side or another. Um, but I do think that since 2020, it's been clear that the progressive left, which I thought stood for, um, I mean, really the shining uh, model and um exemplar in my life, and I know you you both will resonate to this, is my grandmother, Faye Goldman, who uh, came to this country, daughter of immigrants from Russia, um, you know, wanted, just believed in everything this, this country promised. And she was a great patriot. Uh, and she believed in education. She believed in debate and discourse and civil discourse. She became a professor way ahead of her time. But I guess where I'm going with that is Everything I believe in and stand for really is phase that generation's vision of America, right? And what America should, what it, what it offered, especially to immigrants from a totalitarian regime, right? They're like, you don't want to mess. Of course, we're going to fight for the right of Nazis to march in Skokie, Illinois, because we know what happens when you don't protect those First Amendment liberties. As uncomfortable as it is, we're going to do that. I mean, this was a through line for her and for many people of that generation who, you know, many Jews, certainly from that generation who came from, you know, not just the Tsar's Russia, but, you know, Stalin's Soviet Union, um, you know, who fled the Holocaust. I mean, we we have this, not we should have this knowledge in our DNA. So all of that being said, in 2020, when I witnessed my own tribe of progressive liberals align with a totalitarian set of um, diktats uh, around COVID or about around staying home or around masking children, um, not letting people engage in commerce, you know, all the things we should have remembered from the Warsaw ghetto, right? Because that's what you do to subject populations. You don't let them transact. You don't let them have free assembly. You know, anyone who studies history just in the 20th century, well, should have recognized that. And then when I saw these same liberals who would have fought for gay marriage rights, but never discriminated against people who were African-American or Asian-American, thoroughly embracing a two-tier society. I'm talking to you from Brooklyn, New York, here in Brooklyn, you know, Brooklyn in Manhattan, this great beacon of you know melting pot equality since the Civil Rights Act was passed. For them to just be fine with um, 
uh, mandates that led me to not be able to walk inside a building or, you know, that led me to have to eat in, in the street like an animal. Um, that was astonishing to me. And, and for these same people to uh, who were so critical of big government and big pharma, big corporations to embrace uncritically, you know, all of these spokespeople saying, just take this experiment into your body. Um, I was just stunned. So I guess all of that is to say, I really haven't changed. You know, I don't, I don't think I, I really just kept believing in freedoms of speech, freedom of conscience, free, the constitution, the conscience. So to my surprise, I got canceled and deplatformed from Twitter, um, smeared globally. And then subsequently I thought my career was over, over, but the people who wanted to talk to me were not the legacy media where I've spent 35 years, but um, people like you. <laughs> and um, interestingly, uh, also um, like religious uh, Orthodox Jews and like fundamentalist and very conservative Christians wanted to talk to me. Um, so that was kind of amazing. And I promise I'll stop this riff, but I guess yeah, when we're talking, oh, <laughs> almost done, when we're talking big picture, What's so extraordinary to me about the last two and a half years, you know, since I've been canceled is, and, you know, we're going to get there. We haven't gotten there yet, right? But like my views about who is God and how does God work really changed. But one factor in my being so blown away by who is God, how does God work? God is much more immediate and involved in our lives than I thought is for two and a half years, I've been talking about very life-saving information and only people like for half the country was able to hear it and half the country wasn't and the people who were able to hear it were the people who cared about women and babies and to my amazement that's orthodox jews and conservative christians so that like god's people heard it first i hope everyone gets to hear it but i witnessed this like exodus type moment you know where like literally it's like an angel was marking the houses of God's people. Okay, you get to hear this. You get to hear this. And, you know, as I noted, it's it, it related to, um, you know, the vaccines and what was in them. But I, I witnessed in a way that I couldn't really explain, like people who didn't care about God, women or babies, not have access to the information. People who did got the information in a way that transcended kind of human endeavor. So long answer to a short question. No, that's what we want. Why do you suppose that the reaction to COVID and the wholesale abandonment of civil liberties and the adoption of governmental dictates, why and how do you explain how clearly that cleaved to the um the 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 political canyon that cuts through the culture why is it that if i knew who somebody had voted for in 2016 i knew what their position was on masking right wow that's a great question well i always do at this moment um caution americans a little bit because these um kind of global instructions and prohibitions transcended uh, partisanship. They derived, as I you know, argued in the bodies of others, from the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And they were sent, now we know probably with the help of AI, you know, around the world. So in America, for sure, the COVID cultists were on the left. 
um, in Britain, they had a conservative leader and uh, the Tories were pushing these anti-liberty measures in Australia in the beginning. They also had a conservative leader um, in Canada. They had a liberal leader uh, in France. They had a liberal leader, but all of these people were in lockstep. Um, but zeroing in on the United States, you're absolutely right that in the U.S. is very interesting. Um, you can predict pretty much for whom people voted based on whether they're masky or vacciney and whether they yeah. swallow the you know instructions wholesale. And there, I would say that America is in a very uh, lucky position compared with um, most other Western countries, certainly in that we do have a state's system. Uh, so we have like red states and blue states. And so we have red governors and blue governors. And we also, and so that um, allows for- Can, some I, can I just shift in nine minutes here, Naomi, I'm sorry. But um, we have a, actually a very international audience. So could oh, you please just describe that for anyone who sure. may not be American? Sorry about that. Well, as opposed to sort of France and Germany that have- you know, provinces uh, or kind of regions, but they're not completely self-determining. Our system in the United States is that, yes, there is a federal government, but our founders in their wisdom also created a very um, self-directing uh, legal structure for states. And even though there are only 13 states when our country was born, all 50 states inherit this, which means that if the governor of South Dakota or the governor of Florida didn't want to go along with the federal administration's nonsense about closing schools and businesses and forcibly masking and injecting people, they had the power to do that. And yes, there are fights then at the court level between you know the governor and the federal administration, but um, what it meant in effect to answer your question is that half the country had the legal power to not go along with things. And we, Daily Clout, my company saw this firsthand because we drafted a model bill called the Five Freedoms Bill to liberate people, no mask mandates, no vaccine passports, open schools now, uh, and emergency law, freedom of assembly. And we passed it in 33 states. So those were you know, half the, half the country that wasn't going along with it. Um, but also there's an independent media still, and there's a kind of grassroots conservative media still. Uh, we don't just have like CBC, you know, government broadcasting or BBC government broadcasting. So what that means is that if you're not like my poor loved ones, they were thoroughly plugged into the New York Times and CNN and NPR. So terrifying terrifying and believing nonsense and, and acting on nonsense. Uh, many other people were listening to War Room or Tucker Carlson, uh, although, you know, now he's had to go elsewhere. Um, you know, Fox is not like the beacon of freedom, you know, one might think. But, uh, you know, all these podcasters, the Joe Rogue, you know, especially that arose since 2020 and since the um, censorship of, of legacy media, uh, we have and we have the First Amendment. Right. So in Europe, they've just passed a law to suppress even what you can read digitally. And that's happened in Canada as well. Our First Amendment allows um, individual heroes to keep challenging that censorship and to maintain this free flow of information for half the country. So that, I think, is um, what happened in America that's different from um, the situation in Australia or Israel, for that matter, or Canada 
in certain countries in Western Europe. Can I ask my Israel question, Daniel, or do you want to keep it? Pete, no, I was hoping you would, Susan. I I have been very, um, this is something that puzzles me, and I've not found anyone who can give me an answer. It seems pretty clear that young men had much more to at risk by taking the vaccine than they would have been at risk from COVID. And we know personally and certainly anecdotally, and you always have to date, you know, you always have to watch anecdotes because that's the great shark where it turns out there are no more sharks that summer than any other summer. But I think I think your data shows that young men have been healthy, previously healthy young men have been dying at a greater rate than we would expect. Israel went whole in with the COVID. They were the first ones to do the Pfizer. Israel is also a very small country, and it's a country that values its people, especially or including young men very much because and everybody knows. In other words, if there was a big uptick in the death of young men, it would be impossible to hide in a way that you can hide it in other countries. I'm not seeing that being reported or hearing it from people we know in Israel. So that's a conundrum for me. That's really interesting. Um, I'll have to look into that. Uh, I wasn't aware that Israel was an outlier in terms of the um, growing documentation of of, uh, excess deaths and disabilities that people like Ed Dowd, formerly of BlackRock, are um, presenting to the world based on government databases. I I will say, you know, I, I, I guess I'll say two things. One is that um, Israel was, in my view, kind of a petri dish along with Australia and Canada for Mm -hmm. this rollout, but also for the Green Pass, the two-tier society, um, which is so paradoxical that people who practically in living memory escaped a two-tier society would have embraced it so unquestioningly. But also, um, I'm not sure that the records are pristine. You know, we've seen a lot of fudging of the data, for instance, at the CDC. Um, And I don't know if uh, media is free to report. I know there's some good independent journalists in Israel. Our our wonderful editor, Eitana Hecht, is actually based in in Israel. um, And she's part of that, you know, independent media um, network. So I'll ask her about that. But I guess the last thing I would say, which is a little bit mind blowing, is the batches are not all the same. And there are huge variations in, um, yeah, in contamination and manufacturing uh, and even in storage. So literally, if Israel was able to um, have facilities that kept the injections at the appropriate, incredibly cold temperatures, which a lot of countries really didn't have, or the instructions were tampered with so that uh, it was left at room temperature um, or, you know, too warm and it coalesces uh, in in above certain uh, temperatures. Even that could explain. I mean, we're seeing. We're seeing whole classes of people be taken out, you know, selectively and in Canada, 180 do- doctors and and healthcare workers have died suddenly. In Austria, 50 mayors um, died. Uh, If you look at comedians and um, athletes, well, athletes have that surge of adrenaline, which could be causative, but, um, you know, uh, film stars, musicians, uh, there's this disproportionate taking out globally of what I would say is leadership, including cultural leadership. So, 
I don't know if Israel, you know, got to sidestep that through their agreement with Pfizer, which is in fact an agreement with Pfizer and the Chinese Communist Party, because they they're both in an MOU manufacturing and distributing this. Um, or if there's some other uh, explanation like, um, you know, incomplete reporting, but it's super interesting because that is an anomaly, right? So if if all over the Western world, uh, there are these excess deaths and uh, you know massive disabilities of working age populations and Israel is spared, um, there's a reason for it. I, I need to just ask, because you're saying um, comedians or, or some group like that, how, how does that, I mean, it's not like comedians were sent into room A and told you, we'll give you your shots here. But if you're a uh, journalist, we'll give you a shot in a different room. So I'm not following how you're. Well, well, this is just a hypothesis. But, you know, you you opened our discussion by noting that um, I go where the question leads me whether or not I get in trouble. To me, that's just good journalism, right? That used to be how we did journalism. You you look at the evidence and something's anomalous and you ask questions about it. Uh, journalists have stopped doing that. But to me, um, it's obvious that statistically, if certain groups of people are being mandated and certain groups of people, which they are, right? Um, I mean, that's part of how you get these outcomes in Hollywood. All the actors were mandated. Uh, not all professions were mandated in the same uh. way. Um, but also when, if you look at people kind of dramatically dropping dead at, in a way that seems different from the background uh, level of dropping dead. And I haven't seen studies breaking this out. It's it's really quite impressionistic. A lot of this is from Mark Crispin Miller's Died Suddenly, where he looks at groups of, you know, uh, comedians collapsing, actors collapsing, uh, politicians collapsing, I've noticed. Um, then what I know from the Pfizer documents is that it's very, very easy to do what you just said. I mean, that's why I was so scared when I almost died in a hospital setting, because it's very easy to get like a dissident or, you know, an unvaccinated or a, you know, critic or whatever code, you know, it's all done through AI. And it's very easy to assign a more dangerous injection. For example, um, the Moderna injection has more than three times the active ingredients, the dangerous active ingredients as the Pfizer. Pfizer has 30 micrograms for an adult and Moderna has 100, so more than three oh. times the amount. And in the Pfizer documents, they experimented with a 100 microgram dose and stopped due to its reactogenicity. It was too dangerous for Pfizer even to experiment with. So it's as, you know, it could be as simple as, well, this is the brand we have, you know, when you come in for your shot. And as I mentioned, it could be as simple as dosage um, or storage. Uh, I mean, what people <laughs> don't know is, uh, you know, I talked about the temperature issue, but also these are not single dose vials. They're multi-dose vials and they're open. Right. So it, they're kept open. They're like six doses in a vial. So that's so sloppy. Right. But th the bottom line is it's very and, and we've seen that Pfizer has sent out um, faulty labeling, you know, to give very dangerous doses, including to children um, by mistake. And, and pregnant women, astonishingly. Exactly. So I guess what I'm trying to say is. Why were they pushing so hard, so hard for a vaccine database, 
right? What purpose? You know, if all you want to do is make sure someone's vaccinated in public, you could give them a piece of paper instead of a digital vaccine passport. The reason to have a digital vaccine passport is, and I run a tech company, so I understood this very early on and made a viral video in March of 2021. A vaccine passport is a social credit system. So if you have a database and they wanted, 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 still want, are still creating a database of everyone in America, for instance, you know, who's vaccinated, who's not, it's 20 minutes of coding to add everything I've said on social media about a vaccine or about the Biden administration to my file, basically. And then when I go into the hospital, I mean, they wanted to, to, to uh, put me on a feeding tube. And, you know, we've seen the loved ones of medical freedom fighters or, you know, constitutional freedom fighters be intubated, be given remdesivir, you know, medical murder, according to people like Dr. McCullough are, are in these protocols. So that's, and, and I haven't written this essay yet, but I, you know, I had this experience in, in a hospital where I saw that it was all being done through AI. So you no longer have like that human conscience going, wait, don't intubate this woman, you know, um, but the AI doesn't have that human conscience. So it's very, very easy now just with co a code, you know, that could say something like unvaccinated or you know, C for critic, you know, it's very easy for the AI to assign that person in an emergency situation, remdesivir or um, intubation or a ventilator and not the person who's C for compliant, right? I'm not saying I've proven that. I'm saying that we're Worth seeing, exploring. exactly, we're seeing um, the outcomes of differential groups having problems that, requires more investigation and could be easily explained given the nature of AI at this point and, and some of the nature of the manufacturing distribution. Um, Dr. Naomi, in, in March of last year, I think it was in March, you wrote a piece um, which was fascinating to me. You spoke about people um, who were essentially coming to, in a way, seek your permission to lie low and not to speak out, um, and uh, and 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 you know, people sort of admired as as if your courage was somehow injected by some kind of amazing vaccine which they had not been fortunate enough to acquire, and you you sort of dismissed them and you said, no, I'm it, it's not that I'm courageous, it's that you're a bunch of cowards. Right. That's pretty right. much what you what you said. Naughtier language than that, Rabbi, but I will not repeat it. Yes, correct. Um, so, uh, I, 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 I'll tell you that was that was an amazing piece. Um, Thank you. That was an, uh, again it was it was short and punchy, but very courageous. Um, I'll tell you honestly, and I, I'm, I'm not obviously I'm not trying to flatter you. I'm trying to make a point that it to me it sounded like the article Sol Solzhenitsyn released the day he was arrested in February '74 called "Live Not by Lies," mm -hmm. and and that essentially was what you were telling people. You know, how will you be able to face the future knowing that you participated in the lie? Um, so during this whole process, you were clearly, um, 
isolated and villainized and um, criticized by people who had formerly been part of your life, friends, family, professional associates. Uh, you were severely ostracized. Where did the where did the courage come from? Where did the guts come from to be able to do what all these other people were not only not doing, but were hoping to get your uh, certification, your sign off that they were okay because they didn't they couldn't risk some of the things that were. You not only risked uh, paying the price, you did pay the price on some of these things, and you knew you would. Where's you still are, yes. So where does where does that come from? Where is that inner resource from? Thank you, Rabbi, for um putting it so kindly. And uh one thing I'll just you know add to your summary is that um one reason I wrote that essay and was so angry about these people who were DMing me and saying, You're so brave, I agree with you, but I'm not gonna say it in public is that I felt like they were kind of offloading their responsibility onto those few of us who were very few at that time, you know, out front taking the slings and arrows. Um, So I'd love to think that I'm just super courageous, but in fact, I'm, I'm not particularly courageous. I'm a student of history. And so what that means is I know, and and a a huge part of um, what I do now, Rabbi, is informed by uh, this book I wrote that you mentioned in 2007 called The End of America, because there I had the opportunity to um, read back in history, uh, times and places, um, seven of them, six or seven of them, in which a democracy was crushed uh, or subverted by totalitarians, whether on the left or on the right. So they all take the same 10 steps. There's a map. As as a result, I was able to recognize early on, um, oh, we're at step 10, which is emergency law, and it's only 2020. You know, you don't get your rights back at this point without a fight. And I was also able to recognize other aspects of the uh, map of totalitarianism, like a surveillance society or um, trying to be outside the rule of law or um, in neighbors being encouraged to report on neighbors, uh, the breakup of the family, um, targeting of, uh, you know, popular voices uh, who are critical and so on. Um, silencing of journalists. These are all right in that map. I guess what I'm trying to say there is that when I'm speaking up at this point in the uh, attempt to crush democracy in America and the a parallel attempt to crush democracies in Canada, Britain, Western Europe, um, Australia, uh, New Zealand, and so on, I, I and I recognize that I get, you know, I lose a lot of income. I, you know, an investor withdrew a six-figure investment in my company. I'm called a lot of names. The New York Times is preparing a hit piece on me for this weekend or next. Um, you know, I, I lose a family. I lose friends. I lose professional opportunities. I recognize all of that. But as a student of history, I know that it takes almost no courage now to speak up and lose those things. Because in six months, if I don't speak up, I'm going to be arrested and put in a quarantine camp and not let go. And here in New York State, our our Governor Hochul is trying to open quarantine camps. Uh, A lawyer whom I know uh, successfully sued her, she appealed. You know, they're trying to open quarantine camps in Washington State. They opened them in Australia 
I didn't go to Australia recently because of their quarantine camps. I asked a senator there, Alex Antic, if I if it was safe. And he said, I can't tell you that it's safe because they held me for two weeks. And I know what happens once you are in those quarantine camps. China's doing it. You get organ harvested or they never let you go or they, you know, give you. I mean, I, I don't even want to describe it. Anything can happen to you a little bit down the road once you're arrested or you can be switched off. Um, and that's also three months down the road. If we don't speak up, you could be switched off digitally. You can't buy groceries. You can't get medical help. And all of this was uh, kind of trial ballooned, you know, oh, the unvaccinated, they shouldn't get medical care. Um, or you can be disappeared, right? Uh, you know, I mentioned kind of medical murder. Uh, so these are all modern versions of what happened in three to six months in 1933. You know, if we remember Nazi history, 1931 to 1933 is parallels our time. They were ramping up. It was a change in culture. They were enlisting doctors and doctors, professional organizations to create a culture in Germany of life unworthy of life or, you know, um, public health, uh, you know, for the sake of public health, we're going to take your uh, mentally disabled teenager away. And uh, oops, you know, we don't know what happened. They died, you know, uh, of their own um, for, you know, mysterious causes. You're not going to yes. get your teenage. All right. Well, then you get 1933. And after that, in, you know, in six months, the, the brown shirts um, rounded up opposition figures like you and me, religious leaders like, you know, like you, uh, journalists like me and the last six remaining journalists um, and, you know, a handful of other kind of groups and and beat them and held them in makeshift basement prisons. This was before concentration camps. And within six months, all of the rest of civil society complied. That's all it took was to demonstrate what happened to these prominent people. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, this is not scary. What comes next if we're silent is scary. And I also know from history that, you know, as Audre Lorde said, your silences will not protect you. My silences will not protect mm -hmm. me. For sure, it, you know, or as Robert Kennedy says, you don't comply your way out of tyranny. For sure, if we're all silent and we just keep our jobs and keep our heads down, it will get worse and they will kill us anyway, right? So to me, I'm not being particularly like, I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. I guess day to day, it takes courage. Um, but I, I do know from history that if I don't speak up now, Things are, you know, it'll be a cattle car, you know, very soon. And I guess the last thing I should credit is I did marry my bodyguard. So I married. Really? <laughs> yes, I did. I married a man who is, and this is again, providential, right? I, I was getting death threats in 2014. I had to hire a security advisor. This, my husband, Brian O'Shea comes from decades of the highest level <laughs> training by our government, right? And military intelligence and other intelligence in protection, close protection, you know, arms, uh, uh, checking for surveillance devices, you know, escape routes, you know, driving when you're being followed. I mean, I married like a 007 figure who is providentially prepared to keep me safe. So uh, it allows me to be a little less worried about my day-to-day -day safety than I, I would have been without him in my life. Are you, I, so sorry, Susan, that. right back to you in a sec. Are you um, a Second Amendment supporter? Are you in favor of private ownership of sure. firearms? 
So I can't believe I'm saying this coming from my background, but I did reach that conclusion um, that the only thing really keeping us in America from the fate of Canada and Australia and New Zealand and in Australia and New Zealand, they were asked to turn in their guns. You know, I I just did a New Zealand podcast. There was a horror. As in Russia and Germany. I mean, as in Russia and Germany. Exactly. Exactly. So the First Amendment and the Second Amendment are really the only things that have allowed us to be relatively more free at this point in 2023 than um, than crushed democracies like uh, Canada and Australia. So I do believe in, in the Second Amendment very passionately now. Um, I realize our founders were such geniuses, like as vilified as it is, it really is an ex- it it really is a logical extension of of the Fourth Amendment and the First Amendment. Um, and they they come from the same place. So I know that, you know, in any free society, there are costs, right? I know that there's always going to be gun violence and innocents who, you know, are are caught up in, you know, guns in the hands of people who are mentally ill or off their meds or, you know, fanatics or whatever. But just like in a free society, there's going to be hate speech. You know, there's going to be anti-Semitism. There's going to be, you know, um, homophobia. There are going to be all these things we don't like. But those are the price. That's the those are the prices you you have to kind of accept in a free society because um, the alternative, you know, as history shows, is just that they roll in and you can't fight back. Susan. So. There's a lot of things. Um, my husband has sometimes given the analogy. If you wake up in the morning and you turn on your faucet and there's no water, and then you look outside and there's a fire down the block and and all these different things are happening. And if you think of them as different things, you're not going to understand there was an earthquake, that they're all the result of the same thing. You have to put it together. There's a lot of things going on. So aside from the whole you know threat of masking and everything from COVID, at the same time, Many, many local governments are deciding shoplifting isn't really a problem. You know, unless you shoplift a thousand dollars worth, we're not going to work. And that has the effect of making, first of all, putting stores out of business and discouraging people from going to stores. I know I don't go to a mall. The more you go online to shop, the more the government and corporations and the bad guys can track you. Totally. Um, there's, we have two children in the medical field, and it is scary what we're hearing. In other words, people with consciences, and this is true, I think, for law and psychology as well, are not being able to get into law school or medical school if they're honest. Oh my in God. other words, basically, if you don't agree to things that are undemocratic and that are really totalitarian, you will not get accepted. And there's a desire to say it's like it's more important that we have representative people than people who actually can do the work. Oh, the job, dear. all these things are happening at the same time, which means that we're reducing the we're, we're preparing the future to be the leaders in society are going to be people who have bought into this. And we see, look, in Nazi Germany, one of the, you know, doctors were one of the biggest groups of SS doctors and lawyers were the SS. They made up the SS. Yeah. So it's not the idea of, oh, we just have to educate people. If people are educated, they'll be good. Good and education don't go together. But you're making the point that they were pushing us to be on Zoom instead of in person. Again, if I sit and talk to someone in person, 
unless there's, you know, I mean, we're not at the point where there's listening device put in the tree yet, but if I talk to you on Zoom, I'm being listened to. Totally. All these things are coming together and, and I don't know what I'm asking really, but it seems to me that there's a lot of disparate pieces that you have to see as part of a bigger picture. Well, I totally it's hard for people to do because that's why you're called a conspiracy nut, right? right? You label the conspiracy nut because that's what happens when you start saying, oh, this isn't just one, you know, official who's not being very wise or someone making a mistake. You're saying there's really bad things going on. Right. And they're connected. Um, Can I just ask in what way are people asked to um, conform to a certain thought process to get into law school? Like how Um, do they know? Um, so I, I can, you know, the idea of because when you write your essay, of course, first of all, they can listen to you. But even in medical school where you have to say there are more, there are 27 or however many there are genders. You know, if if someone comes to you and says they're a man, are you able to say, I think you have an ectopic pregnancy? No, that could be discriminatory because they told you you're a man. They're a man. There's a lot of things going on in medicine that are are anti-biology. Gosh, you know, being able to recognize that a certain racial group has a higher propensity to diabetes, not because of racism, but to say, let's look at it and see, could there be cultural? Could there be other things so we can help people? No, better that the people die than we acknowledge that there are any differences. No, I mean, to get into medical school, you have to take a sort of loyalty oath. Uh, You have to speak about how um, medicine in America has been permeated by racism. And um, and and as Susan says, the the gender stuff is uh, you literally have to raise your right hand and uh, and and say you adhere to these oh, uh, my ideas before you get into medical school. So no longer just the Hippocratic oath, a whole. It's set. gone. That's no. Gone. I mean, what it means is, oath. if if God forbid you need any medical procedures or will need over the next ten years, go and have them now. Before right. that next right. um, cadre of of students m- make it to the operating room, absolutely, I understand what you're saying, and that's so scary. And it's so scary that um, whoever's behind this, and I'll get to that, Susan, uh, they're wise enough to target, you know, doctors mm-hmm. and lawyers uh, who are such a structural part of any healthy society. If they're allowed to be seen. I mean, we already lost education, teachers, librarians. That's been lost decades ago. I didn't realize how badly. I had no idea. This is, I guess, one example of that, you know, my kind of awakening. But I thought that it was so bad that, um, you know, books for LGBTQ teens were being re- removed from from school libraries. I did not know that the the LGBTQ thing is just a pretext for getting p- porn in the schools and that this right. is like shocking, inappropriate, abusive, pornographic material. I had no idea until I started talking to conservatives. Um, well, let me answer your question, Susan, if I may. Uh, and, and again, I'm very much influenced by, uh, again, my husband, Brian O'Shea, who is a, a, an Intel analyst by training. And so he persuaded me starting early on in, in 2020, he said, this is China, this is China, this is China. I'm like, honey, I love you, but that's crazy. you know. And then he showed me the primary source documentation. So what I have learned from him and other China watchers like General Spalding and Michael Sanger is that the Chinese Communist Party and China as a civilization, right? It's not about Chinese people. It's about an approach 
to warfare. They don't wage war like the West, which our model is a chess or checkerboard and armies coming at each other like that visibly on a battlefield. The, the Chinese military tradition going back centuries is more like a game of Go, that Chinese game where you encircle your adversary uh, bit by bit by bit as quietly as possible. And specifically, um, the Chinese Communist Party really believes in uh, multi-generational, like we look four years down the line, they look dynasties down the line, right? A multi-generational action against an adversary and um, waging warfare through other means. It's called unrestricted warfare. So I've been persuaded by him and other China watchers that we are at war. We just don't know it. We're being targeted by China, aligned with World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But that that means that, you know, China's buying up our farmland. China's, as I mentioned, producing these injections that are killing our next generation. China is um, buying up our ports. Uh, mm -hmm. China's buying up our waters out of the Great Lakes. Um, China is absolutely uh, buying up our Ivy League universities and putting ideologies in place that are really Marxist, like really Marxist and, and race. Um, and, you know, we have a history of racial issues in this country, no question, but the Marxist wedge into destroying our unity and our pride and our mm -hmm. ability to fight back as a country, a multi-ethnic country is um, to use uh, race and like trans issues to break apart um, mm -hmm. any sense of uh well, unity across these lines, but also any pride in our history or any knowledge of our history. Um, and so I see that happening. You know, they're very invested in Hollywood. Uh, they, you know, I've seen a complete change. They're targeting the family. Um, kids began to be disrespectful and, uh, you know, family movies began to be very sexualized about 10 or 15 years ago. Um, there's a, this attack on the family, um, attack on children. And you can see this everywhere. So this is, and things keep blowing up. You know, our food supply keeps blowing up. Our, there are derailments. When did this happen? You know, 10 or 15 years ago, that didn't happen. We were an intact, peaceful, civil society. So to me, these are, you know, cyber attacks. These are signs of this warfare that's being waged against us. And my husband and his colleagues are also very worried about the open border, millions of uh, fighting each men uh, from authoritarian regimes pouring in. Um, we don't know where they're going. We don't know. I mean, you know, my husband from his military background is is where he was a special operator. So he's like, they would drop us in a country with a credit card and a cell phone. And that's exactly what these college, uh, these fighting age men are getting a credit card and a cell phone. And so military people are worried about like sleeper cells, basically that, you know, at a signal, they can all, they're here, right? You don't know where they are. They could be down the block. That could be a militia. Um, and the same token, Canada, right? They could invade from the North because they're wholly owned by China. But I guess the point that I've been persuaded by, by all this documentation is that China's methodology, they plan to be the world's hegemon by 20. 49, which is the 100 year anniversary of their uh, revolution. And they they want and they and the World Economic Forum want to do away with America as a superpower. They want to do away with Western Europe. Democracies are in their way for their vision. And 
So before there's ever an invasion, there may never need to be an invasion, right? Because we're being brought to our knees culturally and in other ways. In what so, way? Can, Sorry, Susan. I'm going to say, can you, I, I, um, Naomi may not be familiar. You said 10, 15 years. Just mention your book, America's Real War, which was 1991, I think. 90, yeah, right. Um, do you mean my first book, The Beauty? No, of- my husband's book. I want my husband's oh. book. What what do you want to bring out on that, Susan? I, just, that I think it's more than 10 or 15 years. And and in other words, oh, we were saying oh. the... Yeah. You, uh, my husband I'm wrote so sorry. You wrote about this long before I ever knew about it, so forgive my... It was America's Real War. An Orthodox rabbi insists that Judeo-Christian values are necessary oh. for our nation's survival. Wow. And, you were and the, the letters we got, so it was pre-canceling because in that, in those days we were online. The only but people who canceled us back then were Jews. Oh, my God. The hate mail we got. And that was when we started working very strongly. And we have been working since then with evangelical Christians and religious leaders of other faiths. Interesting. Um, and realizing that it was that the it was a division. If I'll put it, you step in, Daniel, because this is your book. But um the division between those who saw Judeo-Christian values as an impediment mm. to progress in a wonderful world and those who saw them as necessary and the basis of a wonderful world. And yes. America, when we, we learned a lot of American history in writing the book oh, wow. and found out how much the founding fathers and going back to England and the, you know, the jurists there took out of basically uh, uh, the Jewish, what we call ancient Jewish wisdom. Right. And I, I know that you are, you know, fascinated with the Bible. Well, we are as well. We've been teaching it for decades. And yeah. the Hebrew, there's a lot in the Hebrew that's not in the English. And of many of the founding fathers, and including the Bible that came with the Purit- Puritans or Pilgrims. And with the Pilgrims, the Ainsworth Bible, yes. The Ainsworth Bible, they knew Maimonides, they knew Rashi. They really? Knew what we call ancient yeah. Jewish wisdom. It was part of what went into the founding of America. No, I've and got to there was a push. There was a push to move away. To, the Bible is, you know, old and it's out of date and everything. Anyway, so I just wanted yeah. to say that. Oh, that's so important. Um, been this fight for a long time. <laughs> you, you're being very generous with your time, but I, I know we have to start bringing it in for a landing. Uh, but I, I have to ask you, what does your husband, Brian O'Shea, feel about climate change? Is it a desperate and perhaps the most serious threat to, to life on Earth? Uh, or is it a wealth transfer and power transfer hoax? What does he well, think? Well, we do, we do have that is the one thing we totally don't agree on. That's why I I asked what he felt. (laughs) (laughs) He he thinks that um, it's a, I wouldn't say he thinks it's a hoax. He thinks that it's a trick because if you look at the Paris Treaty and the other treaties, they allow China to keep polluting while we switch yeah. to a green grid, which China controls. He has persuaded me about that, that the risk of being an all electric grid that China controls. Um, but I still do believe there's, you know, a, a serious threat. And if you're if you're not persuaded with um, carbon emissions, there there are other horrible threats that I think, you know, the right would do well to kind of join forces with the left. OK, how about um, January the 6th, the biggest threat to American democracy since uh, the War of 1812? 
That's another tough one, Rabbi. You're asking me these very big questions. At the no, just last. because you 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 amaze me, and so I'm I'm pushing the edge here just to. Yes, I just want to see, middle. and I'm going to say where I want to see where your current limits are because if I would have spoken to you ten years ago, it would have been a very different conversation from today. And if we speak again in a few years' time, it'll probably be different again because you're 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 not a monument. You're you're obviously. A, a passionate living person who is growing and, and changing as we all should be doing every single day. So fair enough. And I did write an essay about January 6th. So, uh, you know, I never, it's never right to um, be violent. It's never right to stop any democratic processes. That said, I did look at the history of the Capitol and walking into the Capitol. It's, it's a public building, like was the incredible takeaway. And it's always been a public building since it was built. And so people like in legacy media, people were depicted as criminals and terrorists for walking into the building and assembling. And that is wrong because that's their job as citizens. Yeah. Um, and I guess I also learned from Tucker Carlson's release of additional January 6th footage that some of the representation of what happened was not correct. And there are some real questions to be raised right. um, about, you know, weird security aberrations, basically, I'll put it that way. Um, the, the way for people, and and I, I think you're all getting a picture. And I'm speaking to our audience that you're getting a picture uh, of of uh, courage and uh, an indispensable view from an influential person. Um, she is somebody that uh, when when the when the history book gets written, and America survives, God willing, the current crisis through which we're going. Uh, her name, Dr. Nomi Wolf, will feature uh, among the the heroes, and um, you will want to see more about her work. You will want to support her work, and uh, you'll want to go to Daily Clout, Daily Clout dot io dot India Oscar, and um, we'll put we'll put the link in the description below, so you'll all be able to get it. But um, you'll also be able to find out more about uh, a book. It is a book, isn't it? The the um, uh, the the Pfizer documents analysis, uh, and is that already available? It is. Uh, if you uh, go okay. to the website on Amazon, it is. So we'll uh, we'll make sure we let people know exactly how to to get hold of that because you you really do deserve our support for what you modestly disclaim, but is nonetheless a reality. Your courage. Um, what what was it like when friends, loved ones, family, colleagues? said, are you mad? Don't you understand there is a public health crisis and you are trying to kill people? How did you deal with that? I mean, it's very painful. Um, you know, it remains painful. And a lot of my former friends and loved ones didn't even engage in that conversation. They just sent emails breaking up with me, basically. Um, or saying, I don't, I'll, you know, I don't sit outside with unvaccinated people. I don't sit indoors with unvaccinated people. Like I'll never see you again. Uh, and people did say you, you killed my brother. You killed my, you know, you're on the side of murderers. Um, how do I deal with it? Look, I mean, we barely touched on this, but I, I do believe in God and I believe I'm answerable to God. And however mad people get at me, if I know I'm saving lives, especially the lives of the most innocent, you know, voiceless people, which are, you know, unborn babies and babies and children. Um, 
that's my first responsibility and uh, everything will kind of shake out in the end, but I don't think I could, I know I'll die someday. And, and I don't mm-hmm. think I could face my creator if I didn't, you know, if, if I kept my friends, but lost my conscience. Would you ever have thought of life in terms of your relationship with your creator while you were at college in Oxford? I think secretly I did, but it was definitely taboo to discuss in mm-hmm. in our sophisticated yeah. circles. And uh, I no longer uh, accept that taboo. I think it's uh, it, it intended to weaken us. I like I would love to spend an hour talking about your book next time because I'm now thoroughly convinced that there is a targeting of Judeo-Christian values by our enemies because yes. they save us because they keep us strong. And Susan, I know I have about twelve more questions to ask, which we're not going to get to. I'm looking at the clock and going, oh, no. You you probably have have the same. Is there anything, as we wrap up, is there anything you, I mean, because if not, I've got a a last couple of one or two quickies that I'd love to still get. I actually wrote something. I have to look. I wrote something and said last questions. I have to see what I wrote. Oh, well, this is a kind of a thing. You know, last night was the Republican debate. The Democrat side – I mean, you still read and you hear from, you know, the New York Times, how vibrant Joe Biden is. I mean, we're, we've given up on the media telling the truth. And is, to me, you know, very often um, conservatives have said the Democratic Party saw worked for generate looked at generations ahead where the Republican Party looked at the next election. <laughs> Does this next election matter or are we beyond that? I mean, that it that. You you end your book the about COVID with calling for resistance. And of course, what that that word can mean a lot of things to different people. Um, but is do the next elections even matter or are we beyond the where is there anything that could change if the right person? You know, I, I, I appreciate it. First of all, I have to tell you, we as Jews appreciated very much your defense of RFK Jr. on the Anne Frank comment. He made a comment for which he was attacked. We had a, we had, we were exactly on the same page. This was he was absolutely right in what he said. It may not have been politic because the minute you say Nazi Holocaust and Frank, you're immediately going to be labeled as anti-Semitic by people. But we agreed with you. And and I'm going to trust our we don't have time to explain what he said. I don't personally think he should be president, but I am extremely grateful that he's out there speaking. Um, Is this does this election matter or are we beyond elections and we really need a resistance more from the, the ground up rather than hoping that somebody from the top down is going to save us? Well, you're right to caution um, against kind of uh, savior in, uh, impulses that, you know, will be saved by by one hero mm-hmm. or someone outside of ourselves. The last time that brought us Barack Obama. I mean, it, it, it never brings us anything good because um, if there's not a strong, empowered uh, group of citizens who understand how to use democracy, um, you can elect someone great and they'll turn into a tyrant in no time. I mean, and, and this is nonpartisan, it's transpartisan. Um, so I, I'm worried right now about our uh, the integrity of our election process. And if we don't fix that, there's no point in anything because they'll just keep running their World Economic Forum candidates and making them win forever. So uh, Daily Cloud, I'm really uh, pleased to announce, is focusing for the next 14 months on passing an election integrity bill. 
in all 50 states, like we did with the Five Freedoms Bill, um, paper ballots, uh, you need ID to vote, same-day voting, in-person voting, and public counting, and um, getting rid of the machines. And if if we do nothing more, our elections are going to be so much more um, accurate. Uh, New Hampshire has this system, for instance, and they, they never have any question about who won because it's publicly counted with paper ballots. Um, so we need help passing that. So if there are people who want to support us, we we really need your help. We're with the lawyers right now drafting that bill, and that's expensive. Um, but that's what I'm I'm focused on. And the other thing I'm focused on is explaining to people how to drive their democracy, is the way I put it, in America, but also in Europe. Like people have to understand what's left of their democracy, right, and make use of it. Very hard in Europe because of the EU kind of disemboweling um, nation state level uh, legislation. But on Daily Clout, for instance, you'll see something called BillCam, which is, uh, and I'm really proud of it, um, a government database, which we've made very interactive, where you can send any state or federal bill through social media. You can read it. You can comment on it. You can share it with your friends. People have used this tool to stop bad bills and advance good bills or make changes to bills that are in draft form. We need that. And we need that for every one of the 132 democracies in the world. So again, we're hoping to build that for everybody. But in the meantime, you know, people have to stop. And I'm speaking to Europe now in Australia, stop handing over your power to your parliamentarians, your EU ministers. You have to look at your own local legislation, legislative processes and mm-hmm. demand meet with your MP, see the bill, lobby around the bill, um, you know, do your part to be a a citizenry that can't be ignored. Um, Naomi, uh, would you let us impose on you for two more quick questions? Yes. And then I I do, I fear, have to. Of course, of course you do. Um, You see an alignment between the World Economic Forum and the Chinese Communist Party. How does that work? Um, that, that's an interesting question. I would need to bring you the primary source documents that were brought to me, but one way, for instance, is through funding, um, and, and through who is tasked with, uh, being at the helm Mm -hmm. of, um, of policies, uh, but let me let me send you the primary source documents. Thank you. Waiting. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. But the easier example with an aligned organization is the World Health Organization, which um, is, you know, the second biggest funder is China, and China appoints who sits on um, a number yes. of subcommittees and uh, enacts global policy. Got it. Okay, that's important. And and finally, um, I am um, persuaded that the Bible is the foundation of Western civilization. And so uh, my attitude towards the Bible or the Torah is either it is God's message to mankind, in which case I need to spare no effort in order to understand, because I'm not interested in theology, which is what men say about God. I couldn't care less. I'm only interested in what God said about men. Or alternatively, it is the fictitious creation of uh, long ago Bedouin tribes 
talking about anachronistic events and forgotten nations. And if it's the latter, then it's not worth spending two minutes on. If it's the former, then no effort is too high. What is your response to that sort of declaration? I think it's a little um, dualistic. Um, I think God clearly, no, seriously, I think God clearly speaks through um, faulty, uh, poorly organized human beings all the time. And uh, that's why we don't know exactly what God wants, hard as we try to figure it out, because always it's refracted through, you know, like Moses stammered and said, don't choose me, you know, like Jonah said, don't choose me. Uh, it, it could have been both, right? It could have been God showing up to a bunch of Bedouins and the Bedouins saying, don't choose us, you know? So I guess, t- so I was trained as a literary critic. I'm not a religiously trained person, but I do read Hebrew and I do read uh, 16th and 17th century Elizabethan, pre-Elizabethan typography. So I, I did start reading the Geneva Bible. I'm interested in what you described, the Ainsley Bible. I'm not familiar with it. But Ainsworth, Ainsworth Bible. Ainsworth, yeah. I beg your pardon. I'll have to investigate. But the Geneva Bible and the Hebrew translation has been blowing my mind because the persona of God is so different in the Hebrew Bible and in the Geneva Bible than the persona of God that we've been pre- with which we've been presented through poor translations and bad theology for the subsequent mm-hmm. years. Bottom line is in the original, God is much nicer and more caring, more concerned with human beings, not irrational, not distant, not um, arbitrary. And the latter is totally how I was taught, even in a conservative you know, uh, Hebrew school, I was taught that God is distant. He, you know, you can't reach him. He, he's going to erupt in some arbitrary demand. He's going to ask you to sacrifice your son. So uh, that's been a revelation to me. And I guess what I would say is as a literary critic, you can't like, there is a voice of God in the Genesis, which is just as far as I've gotten that is so characteristic of another being that is not like beyond human, right? That is as clear as like the voice of Melville in Moby Dick. You know, there's just this, mm-hmm. this meta-human voice and it's a whole complete personality with a whole complete worldview um, that human beings would not be capable of. So to me, that's incredibly exciting. And also just the Hebrew, like like going to the original and seeing how much wordplay that is beyond what any human writer could come up with, you know, like embedded in a single word, right? And I mean, Hebrew is amazing because it's all comes from the Shoesh, which has three consonants, but it's, it's just like the embroidery of God's word with God's word is, is more beautiful and sophisticated than any human writer or group of Bedouins or, you know, priest or rabbi, no, forgive me, but, you know, religious could ever come up with. Yeah. So that's well, my, you know, that's my evidence. Since um, you mentioned Moses being a stammerer and your love of Hebrew, um, it won't come as a surprise to you that the Hebrew doesn't ever say he was a stammerer. Uh, the Hebrew says, I'm not a man of words. Words. And what that means. Of things, right? Yes. Double. But what when somebody says, look, I'm not a man of words, what he really means is I'm a man of action, not words. And Amazing. that's why 
That's why when Moses encounters an Egyptian beating up an Israelite, he does not hold a symposium on increasing sources of Egyptian anti-Semitism. He acts. He's right. not a man of words. He's a man of action. Actually, and his protest to God is, listen, don't send me on a negotiating mission to Pharaoh. I'm not a man of words. I like action. Wow. And I, wow. And I finish so up crazy. on this because um, you are a man of action as well. Clearly, uh, you are. You are, although you are obviously gifted with words, uh, the, the 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 direction in which the words inexorably push is somebody has to do something, and the somebody's probably us, and and that's what I hear. So, uh, the daily clout is how we stay in touch with you and your efforts. The daily clout is how we learn more and how we can support your work. So um, the Daily Cloud is going to be the next place that we meet. I do hope we'll be able to welcome you back again to uh, this show, Dr. Wolf. You've brought uh, not only pleasure, but uh, but even hope and optimism uh, to uh, to Susan and to me. So thank you so much for your time. We deeply appreciate it. And uh, Susan, closing words. Jim, you said it perfectly. I have nothing to add. Thank Wonderful. you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Thanks for listening to this interview. As we said before it started, there were so many questions we did not get to. If you are interested in reading Dr. Naomi Wolf's book, The Bodies of Others, the subtitle is The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human. And if you see here, it says bestselling author of The End of America and Give Me Liberty. So she has really, I have to say, I'm sure you heard from the interview. This is one courageous woman who is willing to stand up and fight for what she believes in. And we felt it was a privilege to speak to her. I know that she's lost many friends over her new um, her new look at reality. I'm trying to remember if we asked her that. I, I think, think we, we did. I think we I did think ask we did. her on the show. So absolutely. So uh, thanks very much indeed. Um, please take a look on Amazon at our new book. Uh, it's days away from release. Uh, you will receive it in only a matter of days from now if you go ahead and pre-order. The pre-order is very important. Might be, might be weeks. Um, might be a week. Or it's so. uh, it's it's being released uh, September twenty-six. Right. Yeah. So. Um, so it's it's coming out. Oh, soon. I guess by the time this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it's quick. Ooh. So the book is called "Thou Shall Prosper." No, it isn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> try again. Second. Second try. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're not going to edit that out. We just we'll, we'll just go with it as it is. Um, it is called "The Holistic You: How to Integrate." your faith, your family, your finance, your fitness, and your friendships all together into a fulfilling and complete life. So uh, The Holistic You, that's on Amazon. Also, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast or whatever platform you listen to, we'd love you to do that. And until next week, we are grateful for the opportunity to be together with you on the show. And we wish you a week of progress and growth in your five F's, in your family, in your finances, in your faith, your fitness, and your friendships. Till next week, from us, God bless. <laughs>
stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.